Hi again, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Yeah, that's who we are. I do so many shows. I started to call this Inside Furman Athletics, but that's another show entirely. I'm one of the grumpy guys, Dan Scott. We've got the full cast together today, and our guest is veteran broadcaster, the current voice of uh, Seattle Mariners baseball on television when we get back to playing baseball Dave Sims, who's had a long and very successful broadcasting career doing just about everything you can do, you are going to enjoy this conversation, I promise you. We are sponsored by Todaro Pizza here in the upstate of South Carolina, the 116 North Markley Street location in Greenville, the Sloan Street location in downtown Clemson, South Carolina. The Greenville location is still open for pickup and delivery, so you can go online at todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, Todaro Pizza, and you can uh, find out more about the hours and what they do there. The pizza is fantastic. The people are even better. We thank them for jumping on board and sponsoring us. We also want to remind you that wherever you're getting this podcast, whether it is through Podbean, our host, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get it, there's always a way for you to do a number of things. Contact us. We'd love to, for, to see your comments. Please let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. You can rate us. You can subscribe to us. And most importantly, we want you to share it with your friends to help us grow this podcast. I mean, you think about the guests we've had counting this week, the last three weeks, Jason Whitlock, Marty Brenneman, and now Dave Sims. That's pretty heady stuff. We've been very, very blessed to be able to get those guys on. Help us grow this podcast by sharing it with your friends. As mentioned, this is episode seven of this brand new venture called Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Uh, I'm Dan Scott. We've got the entire band together today. Cobb Oxford is here. Tom Van Hoy is here. Dory Kid Smith is here. And of course, our very special guest, Dave Sims, the television broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners, is with us. Dave, welcome to Grumpy Old Broadcasters. We will let you know at the end of the podcast how well you fit in with the group. <laughs> Grumpy Old Broadcasters. That's unique, man. That's a heck of a handle. That's. You know what? That's I love it. It's one of those. I love it. It's one of those really cool southern colloquialisms, and it and it's really cool, and it makes it it stands out. I like it. Yeah. Well, the other the 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 other cool thing about it, uh, the people who are listening obviously can't see. We're doing this via Zoom, as I've got the background up, and you know I can duck down, but you can see I put myself right in my spot, (laughs) in in the uh, in the logo. So good for you. Yeah. Do what you have to do. So how are things going? Let's let's start with where you are. You're right in the middle of the hotspot of the coronavirus there in New York City, man. How are things? Yeah, I'm uh, right here in Manhattan. It's a glorious blue sky, 50-degree day right now, sunny. And uh, I'm inside for yet another day. Got back from uh, Arizona back on the 13th of March. And uh, it's really weird to look out on the street and uh, and hardly see anybody walking around. I haven't been out of, I haven't been out of the house since... Uh, 18th of March. And uh, the last time I did a, a walk, I did a walk down near the UN and it looked like a movie set. There was nobody there. It was unbelievable. You, you were telling us before we got started that one of the cool things that's going on uh, in New York City right now is uh, uh, when seven o'clock rolls around in, in the evening. Why don't you tell us what's going on there? 
Well, you know, it's funny. A couple I'd heard about it on the radio and then forgot about it. And then a few days ago, it's a couple of weeks ago now, like we're sitting out and we're finishing up dinner at uh, at seven o'clock, and all of a sudden I'm hearing pots being banged. I'm hearing whistles, whistles. I'm hearing claps, and then I hear dun 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 dun. dun. I said, "Wait a minute, that's Frank. That's a chairman on the board." I stick my head out the window. People are cheering and clapping, and then I remember that it was to celebrate. It was shift change around uh, around many parts of the city. Uh, for first responders, uh, police firemen, uh, doctors, medical workers, delivery people. So it's a New York salute. And I think a lot of people, a lot of other big cities have picked it up. I think Boston does it as well. And it is really cool. And our wins, uh, WINS, our old news station, one of our old news stations, uh, they play it live now. They've played it live at, at 7 o'clock every night the last few days. Guys, does somebody else want to go? Well, hey, David, I mean, what kind of conversations have you had at all with Seattle or there have been lots of ideas about trying to get things started, just kind of where you are as a broadcaster and what you think about it? Well, you know, I've sort of filled it into my baseball Jones. I've gone back to YouTube it's, and YouTube, HBO documentaries has been really big. I talked to my guys back in Seattle. Uh, you know, everybody's doing pretty much the same thing. They, a lot of those guys are getting out and about. That was the hot spot before New York really you know, just went to the yeah. top of the list, which is really sad. But in terms of what, uh, obviously, we all want to get back to baseball, want it to be safe. And the thing I've been saying is uh, when I get the all clear horn from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's a New York guy, who's, you know, he's maybe one of the most trusted guys in America right now. And he says it's all clear to go back. That's when I'll feel real good about it. But I like the plans that baseball, you know, they've come up with something. Uh, it's not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Dave Sims with us here on Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Uh, there have been, uh, among the things baseball has talked about, is, is for this season when they can get back to playing is separating uh, into the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League and, and playing at least part of the season, maybe the whole season, at the spring training sites, possibly with no fans. Um, we, we had Marty Brenneman on last week. He was not a fan of that idea. D do you like it? I mean, do you, are you willing to do that just to get some baseball back? Yeah. And Marty's a dear friend in uh, the hall of famer. Good man. Uh, I'm not wild about it. I mean, it's uh, if you guys have been to Phoenix in June, July, August, uh, triple digits uh, are the norm. Uh, no. And, and even at night, it's going to be blazing hot. The other thing too, you got a traveling party figure, 75 to hundred people, and, and you're depending on everybody, you know, you know, not catching it. One person gets it, shuts the whole operation down. And, and basically, you know, I saw Mike Trout, he had a comment saying, you know, we're going to go hotel to the ball field and then back to the hotel. No families in, mo in many cases. He said, that's, that's not a normal life. And, and believe me, we, there's not a guy I know in baseball. And that I've, I've spoken to a lot of guys. Everybody, want, again, they want, they want to get back to work, but. I don't know about that plan. I, at this rate, if they wanted to have a tournament, I could live with that. I mean, just to have some kind of baseball back. But it, it's going to be daunting, whatever whatever they do. One of the stories in spring training before it got shut down was King Felix trying to make the rotation in Atlanta. What What's your view of that? What happened to him in Seattle? Has he got anything left? Well, he, he still has the fabulous uh, changeup. He's got the good curveball. He doesn't have the power fastball that he had years ago. Um, I, I root for – I tell you what, as a competitor, he's going to be one of the best competitors you've ever seen. Um, he, and he knows how to pitch. 
And I tell you what, I've never felt so badly for a guy over long stretches of time where he would go seven innings, give up, you know, two runs, three, four hits, and get a no decision or a loss. And whatever his numbers are, I can't remember, he's won 200-plus games. Whatever it is, it should be about 80 more. Uh, I wish him all the luck in the world. I, I know I, I saw some highlights of him in spring training. He looked good. He looked good. And and because the curveball in a changeup change is so good, makes that fastball – you know, it might only be 89, 90, 91, but it looks like it's got a little extra giddy up on it. I wish him all the luck in the world, boy. I tell you what, you'll if he gets it going, man, he's got swag and everything. He he would be a he'll be a big hit down in the southeast, no doubt. Well, he didn't get the moniker King for nothing, right? That's correct. That's correct. Hey, Dave, um, this week, as we're recording this, we we just passed the anniversary of Jackie Robinson's integrating baseball. April 15th, 1947. Uh, on April 15th, earlier this week, you hosted a um, Jackie Robinson Day roundtable, which included uh, Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, Mariners legend uh, Harold Reynolds, and some current Seattle players. Um, how, how did that go? Just tell, tell us about that roundtable discussion. Well, it's available at YouTube. Was it YouTube.com <clears throat> slash Mariners, and it's up. It's available to everybody right now. It was a blast. And we sort of had a generational spread uh, from Malik Smith, D. Gordon, Shed Long, um, and then uh, Bob, Harold, and myself. So we covered a couple, three generations, which was fun. And it was great. And, and I didn't know Mrs. Ro- Mr. Robinson. I met Mrs. Robinson on, multiple, on a couple of occasions. And the, the greatest thing that guys talked about was the strength of character and the courage to accomplish what he did under incredible duress the first, I think, what, 47, 48, 49, and Brent Tricky basically told him, be yourself. He turned him, he cut him loose in 1950. I mean, there's a, there's a guy that was poor sport athlete at UCLA, lieutenant in the Army, man's man. And, and, I, and I've, I've been in New York uh, my entire career. And uh, I, I knew Dick Young and a lot of guys, uh, sports writers who covered him, Jack Lang, a lot of these guys have passed on. But I said, he's a tough son of a gun and a great competitor. And Ralph Branca, I remember Ralph Branca saying, hey, man, cut your heart out. I mean, he, that they loved once, you know, once he, he showed his abilities as a, his rookie year, one rookie of the year, 49, he wins MVP. Man, his teammates loved him, really did. But, you know, and then when he got, once he got turned loose, if you watch Ken Burns' piece on him, Again, a man's man. He started really standing up against segregation and about equal rights, and uh, that 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 turned some people off a little bit. But you know, he he was a precursor to Dr. King, and Dr. King said, "Hey, if you don't do what you did, you know, it would have been impossible for me to accomplish." It. It, it, it's interesting you bring that up because that's where I was going to go next. Uh, I'm a huge, huge baseball history buff, and and I, I've read. Just about everything you can read on Jackie Robinson. Love everything Roger Kahn wrote, uh, Boys of Summer and the Era, yeah. and, and all of those, all of those books. But but when Branch Rickey turned him loose, some of the media in New York turned on him. He they, they he went from being a, a a champion and a guy that they all liked to hey wait a minute now you're not as thankful as you were when you well, first you came know, up. Like I said, he was a man's man. He could think on his feet. He was a college graduate, and he wasn't going to take any BS. 
And I know from, and, and this is, I don't say this disparagingly, I'm just reporting what, what happened and what I was told that, you know, Dick Young was, you know, one of the great baseball writers of all time, but, all, you know, he was a cantankerous guy, and particularly back in those days in his prime in the you know, early, late 40s, early 50s. And he and Robinson butted heads all the time. And, and I'm not surprised. And, and Dick Young was the one that hired me. I was the first African-American at the New York Daily News. So it comes as no surprise to me that they, bumped, that they banged heads on more than one occasion. So, and, and Jackie Robinson stood up for himself. And he wasn't going to take any nonsense. And, you know, Richie Ashford told me the story. Um, 1984, I'm at NBC Philly. And um, uh, who was it? It was the Padres and Tigers in the World Series. And we were at NBC. They were showing the showing the. Uh, the World Series. So Whitey came over and uh, gave us a little, some, uh, did a pregame with us. I said, hey, Whitey, you guys, um, Whitey was his nickname, by the way. Why, uh, Whitey, I said, you guys gave Jackie Robinson more heck than anybody. He says, yep, Ben Chapman told us to spit at him, cuss at him, throw at him, spike him. And, uh, <laughs> and Whitey says, yeah, and the more we did it, the more he stuck it up our butt. And the numbers bear that out. I looked it up. I called a friend of mine at Elias Sports Bureau. Robinson, in his career, 10 years against the Phillies at Ebbets Field, hit 276. His 10-year career numbers at uh, Shad Park in Philly, 311. And was some, what was it? he was uh, 21 out of 29 in base stealing, stole home a couple of times, and had like an 800 OPS. So mm-hmm. they, they did get him fired up, and, and they paid for it. But before one of the other uh, guys uh, ask a question, uh, just one more follow-up on that. Uh, two episodes ago, we had Jason Whitlock on, and we were talking about uh, about this this topic. And, and I, I had the opinion that uh, a lot of young athletes, and I deal with Division One college athletes on, on a daily basis when we're actually on campus and doing things, that they they don't seem to have the the knowledge or the appreciation. Uh, of of the history of sports and the story I told Jason, we were on a, a bus trip a few years ago, uh, a baseball trip, and and a trivia game broke out, and and I asked a question. And the answer was Mickey Mantle, and one of the kids said, "Who's Mickey Mantle?" And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> For those of you who are just listening, Dave, Dave put both hands to his head in disbelief. Um, I I said that I don't think younger athletes, college athletes particularly today, have that appreciation. And Jason said he thought it went even further than that. He thought it was a lot of the the uh, athletes in professional sports today don't have that appreciation of the history of their sport. What do you think? If I if this was a if we had a board here and I would go check check and check, uh, I don't think there's any question about that. And I. I get a kick out of it when I do have a conversation with somebody and I drop a name and a guy knows, and then you can have a conversation or he'll ask reason, you know, pertinent, reasonable questions. I tell you, to your point, Dan, the other night on Jeopardy at this is college championship week. Yeah. The question was this person in 1947 broke baseball's color, a color barrier. And a young lady from USC said, Babe Ruth. And Jeopardy was trending on Twitter within minutes in New York. <laughs> I was like, what? I hear, Ben, you, you're, it's the same argument I have, not argument, but discussion I have with people of our generation. And I know from, from being African-American, so many, they're, first of all, we're, I think I'm part of the last generation of black Americans who really cares about baseball. Walt Frazier, who's a Hall of Fame basketball player, He's been doing Knicks games on radio and TV for 35 years. 
I'd say probably 15% of the guys know who he is. None of them, if any, come to him for advice or, you know, how did you handle this situation? How did you handle this on the court? It's a shame. I mean, and, and if you get, and actually, and you can now take what we're talking about, take that thread and take it into just general American history and kids don't pay attention to it. I don't even, if they are teaching it, I should like to know how they're teaching it because it doesn't seem, seems like a big swing and a miss. I'd like to ask about one of your other projects where I'm more familiar with you is um, basketball and beyond. Yes, sir. Hey, how did that develop? And, uh, you know, you, you guys don't, I mean, you talk more other subjects than basketball. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and what kind of, I mean, he seems to be a very curious person on that show. So hey, I, I, let me tell you something. Um, I met Mike when he was in Army. 1977 he's the head coach at army i'm at the new york daily news covering college basketball and we used to have uh, the late lamented uh, uh mama leone's restaurant over on oh yeah having uh, on 49th street and we would have during basketball season we'd have weekly basketball writers lunches well it turned out those were almost like audition night at a comedy club because we had bill raftery Jim Valvano, P.J. Carlissimo, Tom Penders, Louis Karnaseka, and Mike Krzyzewski was like the straight man there. And and it was and we got to know each other, and a lot of times I'd come out and my notebook would be, you know, I'd have nothing, but I'd be laughing my butt off for an hour and a half, you know. But anyway, flash forward to 05, and XM, XM Radio's on the air. I'd do one of our media uh, seminars down at Duke, and his right-hand guy, John Jackson, says, hey, do you have any restrictions? Could you do a national radio show on XM? Said, yeah, yeah, what do you want? And he basically said, we need you to, to be Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. See <laughs> it up, set it up, get out of the way when he starts inter interviewing people. And we just finished our 15th year. And last, uh, what's today? Today, we, uh, two weeks ago, three, two weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci on. Yeah. Mike called him. America's point guard, baby. And that's what he was here at Regis High School in, the, in uh, Manhattan. And it's great. We cover the gamut. We had Mrs. Barbara Bush on. We've had CEOs on. And I think the only big name hoop guy of this generation that we've not had is Michael Jordan. But we had LeBron. You know, when Kobe passed, sadly, we played some re uh, recap of the three or four times he was on. The Chuckster's on. Barkley's on all the time. I mean, we, we and all the coaches, we've had Belichick on a million times because, you know, we had Saban. I mean, you name it. And we had Eddie O. We had uh, uh, Coach Orgeron on the other day. Go Tigers! You know? <laughs> so <laughs> it was beautiful. And the thing that's great, when one of our producers calls and says, hey, Coach K wants to talk to you, everybody, what time? And right. we, like, hardly ever get turned down. But what's the deal with Jordan? Why I don't. I don't know. We've had Roy on. We've had Roy on. I'm telling you, we've had everybody. Uh, oh God, I think we had Frank Martin on one time. Yeah. We had Dabble on when he's won. Yeah, man, it's it, it's a lot of fun, and that's why we call it basketball and beyond. You know, we talk, and he's a huge huge sports fan, huge baseball fan, and uh, you know, we we he talks a lot about leadership, a lot about culture, and uh, he is very intellectually curious. There's no question, and he prepares like crazy. Were you able to get Charles Barkley to open up because he's such a timid guy? <laughs> Welcome back, our favorite guy, the Chester, Charles Barkley. Hey, Dave, there you are. He's 
Terrible. Yeah, it's great. Oh. He's, yeah. <laughs> Terrible is right. <laughs> Tom, Dory? Yeah. Uh, before I jump in, and Dory, you can. I just wanted to ask Dave about, from a broadcasting standpoint, um, you do, you've done everything, football, basketball, baseball, you name it, radio, TV. Do you have a favorite favorite sport, and do you prefer radio or television? Well, I love them both, and it, it's like, which one of your kids do you love more? I've been very lucky to be able to do so much radio. I did like 17, 18 years, national radio, Westwood One, uh, NFL, and college football, and college basketball. Did the tournament 15, 16 years and Big East football, basketball. I, I love it all. And the thing that's great, switching between radio and TV, they're two different disciplines in terms of play-by-play. TV, you're basically a caption service, and it's a director's medium. And 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 radio, you've got to describe everything. And, and I was, you know, a lot of, I think, the finishing touches on, on my, on uh, doing play-by-play, particularly radio, was uh, with the great Marty Glickman, who was the, the announcer coach at NBC and MSG back in the uh, mid to late 80s. And I always say that, you know, doing radio and TV, I compare them as like one, it's like hand, hand, uh, horseshoes and hand grenades. They're totally different. They're totally different. And a lot of times you hear guys, TV guys go over to, to radio and they're not telling you everything. I want to know what it looks like, smells like, which way is the wind blowing, what kind of crowd's going, what, what's the guy wearing, how's he standing up at the plate. You know, in, in football, field geography, outside the numbers, inside the numbers, up the hash, down the far sideline, down the near sideline. So you got to be super descriptive on radio to do it right. So it, it's, it, it keeps me alert, I'll tell you that. And um, in, in baseball in Seattle, probably do three quarters of my work on TV, but the other I do on radio, and it's really cool. By, by the way, you mentioned Marty Glickman. There, there's a great trivia question. Uh, about Marty Glickman, which I'm sure you probably know, Dave, but um, he, he was supposed to run, I think, on the relay team in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, and they actually asked him, told him not to run that race. He's Jewish uh, because ja- – uh, because um, I was going to say Avery Jackie Brundage. Robinson. I was going to say Avery, Jack- Avery, Avery Brundage yeah. was the uh, president of the American Olympic Committee, and he counted out to Hitler in uh, – and, and, and Goring, and um, Jesse Owens said, hey, I got my medals. Let Marty and Sam Stoller, two Jewish guys, run on a 4 by 100 Boy, you do what you're told. Hey, that was it for Marty, and I, I, I never got tired of hearing the story. And, and more often than not, Marty would, at some point, with tear. I mean, he's an older guy. He was still razor sharp at 76 or 80, whatever it was. But I sit there. I heard the story a million times, and I sat there with my mouth open every time. Man. It's, and he was, a, he was a beautiful man and man did he. He was the first, basically, he was the first jock turn broadcaster, a play-by-play broadcaster, uh, after he came out of uh, Syracuse. He was a great, uh, really speedy guy, good punt returner. And uh, his. when you hear old uh, newsreels, I think all of us are old enough to remember to remember when we were kids, we probably, the last generation that saw newsreels when you'd go to a Saturday afternoon matinee. Well, he yes. did a lot of those sports actualities. Uh, in the uh, that came out of New York or came through the New York offices of those uh, organizations. Visiting with Dave Sims, uh, the uh, television voice of the Seattle Mariners now, and of course he does so many other things. We've been kind of talking about that. A, a Philly guy who went to college in my home state of West Virginia. How does a Philly yeah, guy, Virginia? How, how, how does a Philly guy end up in Bethany, West Virginia, for college? 
Well, I, I got recruited by Temple University to play football in my senior year. I'll never get this too. The last week of February, first week of March, guy comes after me, says, we need you to come down to Temple. I said, what for? He said, coaches and your league love you. You're an eye fullback. We need an eye fullback. We're going to get you up to 230, uh, 230 40 pounds. We're going to play Penn State, West Virginia. Da, 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 da. And I said, okay, I took a visit, and, and the guy that showed me around, I said, I can't outrun him. We're not doing this. So then I figured I had to get out of town. And I had a good relationship with my parents. But anyway, um, Bethany was on a list, took a look at it. It was small. I went there and I said, if I don't like it, I'll leave. Next thing I know, four years passed. I had a lot of, got a lot of things done. And, and then I got to New York mainly because, uh, well, one of the big reasons, my mother was always a New Yorker. We always came up to New York. My dad came up to see a lot of those Jackie Robinson teams in the World Series. And it's the media capital of the country, if not the world. So and I got the opportunity. My mother said, don't, don't screw around. There's no guarantees at 35 you're going to be able to be there. So take it at 22, and here I am. So been here ever since. But that's how I got to Bethany. Yeah, it was it was interesting. It was it was a, a little bit of a culture shock. But like I said, I got through it. I had a co-worker and a roommate who went to Bethany. So no I'm kidding. Sure it is. Yep, Jim Rice, who's still working with the Greenville News here in the area. Yeah, he, uh, Tell him I said, hey. <laughs> you guys he loved, know, he loved you guys his know, soul. Yeah. How was it, man? Yeah. Did you guys know Bob Goyne? Uh, he just passed away a while ago. He was a Florida State AD. Uh, when yeah, Charlie I know Ward. The name. I know the name, yeah. Yeah, when Charlie Ward won the uh, Heisman and Bob and Coach Bowden was down there. And uh, he also was um, at uh, Cincinnati when Hugs was the coach at, uh, at Cincinnati. Yeah, he was. I played for him. I played one year, finished third in the conference, and kickoff returns and said, Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to jump in. Go yeah, ahead. I got to jump in real quickly. Um, Dave, I need to ask before I do anything else are you writing a book? Because I will purchase your book. It, Tell you me know, about it. it. It's so funny you said that. My wife has been all over me. She's actually been collecting anecdotes, Good. and and I've got, I have a, um, Friend of mine, Jane Levy, who wrote, who's a writer, and her her agent was all over me. But you got to write a book. I I, I think you're about the third person in the last three months to ask me the same question. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to. I think at some point. Absolutely, I agree. Um, but yeah, I just before I ask a couple of questions, I want to say thanks again for letting me be, be a part of this broadcasting royalty conversation. Just like with Marty Brenneman last week, uh, you guys are the uh, top of the top cream of the crop and we appreciate that you. I, I love marty and we're, we're good friends and i appreciate you putting me in the same sentence with marty he's, he's my man yeah <laughs> he's great too um so yeah i did a little bit of research on you and i know that dan has already mentioned you're from philly i gotta ask one quick question about that did you ever throw snowballs at santa claus i was i think if game, my math is I, right you were 15. i was at the 1962 game when uh, the Minnesota Vikings came in, for my money, that's the that was the real first time Santa Claus got snowballed. It was at Franklin Field. Uh, the one that you see the most about uh, was uh, documented at the vet. So that would that came on about nineteen so about nineteen early 70, 3 ish, but it did happen. And as the NFL films captured uh, yeah. in that '70s thing, it did happen. But I do remember being at Franklin Field. And I can remember what, because I we, we were sitting around the ten yard line, and it was on diagonally across from us, and that the sleigh or this, you know, the float was going down. And a lot of guys had big arms back wow. in the day in Philly, so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. It was, that is it, amazing. It, it, it's a tough town, boy. 
<laughs> and you have to say it did happen because back in 68, there was no social media. You didn't have any recording. So you just have it in your memory. Oh, That's I'll, pretty ne awesome. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Okay. So my next question, since again, you've already alluded to the fact that you were a football player. So you played football at Bethany College and yet you are the uh, voice of the Seattle Mariners. Is that sort of your tagline? So you, of course, call baseball, but throughout your career, you've called baseball, football, and basketball. Word on the street is there's a possibility that football will move to the spring. And, <laughs> you know, football is always, has always been a fall sport. Of course, baseball yeah. has always been a spring sport. How is that going to work out? It, or let me ask you first, is that something that you can foresee happening? Uh, yeah, we're in an unusual circumstance. So that means uh, almost anything is in play and there's money Great. to be made and there's a lot of money that can be lost. So whatever they can do to not take a beating, I think I think almost anything's going to be on the table, to be honest with you. Do you have any proposition proposals? I mean, I have heard, of course, Marty said if, if baseball does not resume this year, it probably won't resume until 2022. Oof. He did not think it would happen next year either. Did I hear that correctly? guys well, well there there are there are some thoughts that you know a lot of things aren't going to open until 2022 that you know and especially because we're looking at uh we figured anywhere from next april to uh, september into 21 before vaccine vaccine is uh, out proven and fully distributed hopefully that's not the case but uh, that, that could be a harsh reality yeah and it, it's scary to think in those terms but you got to be a realist well, I got a question then, since Coach K has so much pull, can he, uh, can he get Dabo Sweeney on with you maybe in oh. the near future and you guys talk about it? Oh, that would be great. That would be great. We yeah. had, what was, Dabo's won two national championships, right? Yeah, we've had him on both times, yeah. Because <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's in our opening montage and and we had Dabo and he says, and he says, uh, the, the announcer goes, <clears throat> Clemson coach, Dabo Sweeney. It's first rate now. Coach K coming on. Coach K, this big deal now. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Tom? Great. I want to ask you, Dave, about, you know, you talk about uh, a lot of people ask you about writing the book. And, and uh, if you do, there have got to be memorable moments in, from your many broadcasts. And I kind of couched that in Dan and I used to do a little high school football. One night uh, they had us on a scissors lift at a small high school outside of a press box. It started to rain. Dan and I had to go to a hardware store and try to build a tent and run a thousand feet of, of uh, telephone line to even get on the air. You have any stories like that? From wow. Beginning wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, nothing to that degree, but I'll tell you, there's nothing like uh, uh, Dan being back in your home state. Um that's the end of the third quarter here, the Big East Game of the Week from Morgantown, West Virginia. It's the Mountaineer 66, Rutgers 3. We'll be back with fourth <laughs> quarter action right after this. That, that, now, you want to talk about doing a tap dance and talking about stretching. And I was working with Jeff Bostic, who won three, uh, three Super Bowls with the Redskins. I said, hey, Hoss, whatever you got in stores, baby, bring them out. Let's go. Yeah because <laughs> this game's been over since they got off the bus. So, I mean, I got a lot of story, you know, a lot of things like that happen. Um, I never had to run wire like that. I can remember one time when I started sports anchoring at Satellite News Channel, which is now Headline News, and I was on, I forgot to put my mic on, and that was a riot, and I was, like, scared to death, and 
I remember I said, I, I'll never forget this. I went, hey, hold on for a second. I bent down and put the mic on. And I mean, you, you get screwy things like that that have happened to you in your career. But I, I've been lucky. I, I've not had the, the cable you know, that is devotion to a gig, man. I, I, well, the, the, the thing at, you know, small market radio we were doing at the time, the, the owner cared more about the equipment than he did Tom and I. So we had to make sure the equipment was taken care of. Uh, and that, that I, doesn't come as a big surprise. You yeah. know, that's how some of these guys are wired. <laughs> and, and ironically, uh, Tom, before you jumped on, I was telling Dave that, uh, you know, Angie's taking this time, my wife to, to, you yeah. know, basically, clean and, and dispose of all the junk that we've acquired over the years. I found that thousand feet of phone cord yeah. in the garage and it's on its way to the dump as we speak. Yeah. Uh, we need to get a phone cord these days. Yeah. We, there are a lot of fun moments in broadcasting. Sure. Dave, Tom and I have, have uh, threatened to write a book with a lot of these stories from you know small market radio and the things that you have to do on the road. And one of the subtitles we've kicked around is, Something Tom always said. I bet Bob Costas never had to do this. That would be correct. Or or, or Dave Sims <laughs> never had to do this. Yeah, that, uh, no. you're a lot smarter than we are. <laughs> that would, yeah, that's. Uh, hey, you know it's interesting. I speak to a lot of guys. A lot of young kids are coming in. They're coming out in droves, uh, wanting to get into this business. And there's only so many spots. But I just tell them, you know, keep grinding, man. It's um, yeah. It's great when you hear. Uh, young kids who are talented, they've studied the mechanics and, uh, and the history of the business and they're passionate and excited about it. And I, I have a lot of ki kids that'll, that'll send links. Hey man, could you critique my tape? And I've had guys call back and last, well, even before this whole pandemic thing, but last five months, I bet I've heard from about six or seven guys, a few guys have gotten um, promotions or, you know, or, or they wanted to show me how they put stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that I advised them to do. They put it in motion and they're so much more comfortable now uh, in, in what they're doing. So I, I really get a kick out of doing that. Let me ask you about style as a broadcaster, because you got to find your way. There is no yeah, one way right. to do it. We're all different in that regard. And, and who you grew up listening to, you don't want to emulate them, but, you know, you've got to learn <laughs> mechanics and sometimes you got to learn them on the fly yeah yeah you know it, it, i grew up in so growing up in philly bill campbell was my guy because he did i mean he knew connie mack he there's video of him interviewing connie mack for crying out loud wow. he did the it did the eagles in 1960 when they won the world championship he did the phillies when they collapsed in 64 he did the going to sixers when julius Irving came in of course harry callis and then i come up here to new york uh, I got uh, to listen to and and, and uh, become friends with Marv Albert and Costas and Charlie Jones from uh, from uh, where is it from uh, Fort what where is it in Arkansas Fort is it Fort Riley no Fort Riley Kansas and Fort Fort Smith Fort yeah. Smith thank you Fort yeah. Smith Arkansas wonderful man did the Olympics with him so I've taken uh, Kirk Gowdy on TV Vince Scully on TV I mean I, I've taken bits and pieces of all of those guys in my career and I've always been you know, I think when I first started doing this, people were saying, Hey man, you, you got your hook. You got to develop it. Well, I like, I'm, I'm energetic and I was a catcher and I was a holler guy as a catcher when I played baseball. My own man was a big mouth and I inherited his big mouth. <laughs> so I like to, I like to bring big high voltage energy, particularly football and basketball. And then when the moment calls for it in baseball 
and uh, and go forward from there. So that's that, style wise, Tom. That's a great question, and you have it has. You just can't go out and steal somebody's stuff. You just have to do it. You learn. You get your butt kicked. You, you, you know. You get. You know. You get knocked down. You got to pick yourself up and straighten yourself out and, and and go from there. Well, let me ask you one other question about uh, big moments, and you've had a lot of them, some perfect games and some other things. And you, you know, I always go back and I think I read about when Jack Buck was calling the home run by by Mark McGuire. He said he thought too much about it. Do you, are you just in the moment? Do you ever think of it? if you know a big situation's coming up? Do you think about what you're going to say or just let it happen? Uh, that's a great question. Sometimes I want to put, because of my newspaper background, I want to put a lead on the story, like maybe at the last out or the last play. Sometimes I'll think about that, which I did on the Felix Hernandez um, uh, Perfecto back in 2012. And I had the guys in the truck. I said, you know, when was the last World Series? When was the first time? That, so I, I said, 34 years, 119 games. It's finally <laughs> happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the King, Felix Hernandez. I prepared that. Okay. I had that. I had a couple, just a couple of words that I had written down while the game was going on as we got into like the eighth, ninth inning. Uh, to your other point, in terms of, um, in a moment, in terms of home runs, we haven't been very good for very long in Seattle. Yes. So any kind, anytime you get a home run or a big moment like that, it it is genuine. It is organic. It is from the heart. And uh, I remember Paul Olden, who, who's the PA announcer with the Yankees and, and broadcasting in several places. He says, boy, you are really rooting on that play. I said, dude, have you seen our record lately? <laughs> <laughs> One of our kids, was it last September? Um, no, we had, a, we had a game a few years ago. Jay Buner was sitting in with us. And... Um, it was like the 12th, 13th inning. We're dragging. We want to get the hell out of there. It's like, you know, here's a 2-2 to Martin. Swung on, belted deep to right. Giddy up, baby. Go, 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 go on the Mariners win. Ah! <laughs> that, you know, you got to go home. <laughs> you got to, yeah, we got, you know, it, it's, I, I love what I do. And if, if it's like anything, you know, the old quote about it, whatever, you know, nothing comes with, you know, Without great passion, uh, right? But but Dave, that's that's one of the reasons that that, that I, I I love your style. I love Gus Johnson. Gus, yeah. Gus will lose his mind at, when when the occasion calls for it. Much of broadcasting today, and I think a lot of young broadcasters who are coming out of uh, out of some of these broadcasting factory colleges, they're cookie cutter. And there's oh, not man. there's nothing that distinguishes them from everybody else. And and you know even and in, in where we are, I get emails and, and calls from, from young college broadcasters and, and looking for advice. And, and the first thing I tell them is, or ask them, is what distinguishes you from the other 450 people who are going to be applying for that job? Yeah. And you know what? None of us are going to be Mr. Scully, so get over it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you're right. You know, you, you mentioned Connie Mack and, and Vin Scully. Do you? Yeah, I'm sure you do. But I, when when Vin retired after the 16 season, 17 season, whenever it was, it sounds right. What 1918? Yeah, it yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. There there was a a a period of time in baseball from like 1888 until 2016 where baseball was never without Connie Mack or Vin Scully. Good call. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. Uh, Cornelius McGillicuddy, I think he was born in upstate New York. And uh, there was, um, let me think, one of my maternal grandmother's peers was his housekeeper in Philly 
in the 30s and 40s. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when there, I remember what it was, a big apartment complex on Lincoln Drive in Philly. Yeah, that was. And, and we lived um, where I originally grew up in Philly. I could go out my front porch and go like this and look down, look south on 20th Street <clears throat> and see, uh, let's see, that would have been the left field uh, bleachers with the lights on top that Dick Allen cleared multiple times yes. to see if the Phillies were at home. And my grandmother, my one set of grandparents lived on the other side of kind of, so I was within, at my place, a 15, a 20 minute walk. And then from my grandmother's place, maybe a 10 minute walk. And that's why I went to so many Phillies games as a kid. I think the Eagles played a couple of games there as well. So, I mean, I started going to games. I mean, I was destined for this business, I think, because my father started taking me to games when he was playing for the Philadelphia Post Office, playing in the softball league, he was uh, the commissioner of the basketball league. I was going to games when I was yo big. I remember going, <clears throat> the first game I remember going to uh, Franklin Field, it was like Black Jesus had come to town because Jim Brown and the Cleveland Browns uh, <laughs> came to Philly. <clears throat> and, and you guys were just about every door. You might not have seen Jim Brown play, but I know you other, you, the rest of you had Cobb and Dan and Tom, you know, Jim Brown, I mean. As far as I'm concerned, the best football player ever. And man, hey, that was a treat. I can remember, and my old my old man and the, the fellas in the barber shop and everything. You could tell how geek they were that week when Jim Brown was coming to town. Man, that was oh god, it was yeah, that was amazing. I, I certainly I, yeah remember him. And by the way, Dave, you mentioned that you were in Manhattan right now. Are you hunkered down? I know you say you mm -hmm. in, oh yeah you know oh yeah in Manhattan. Tell us what is going on right there, the unbiased perspective from Manhattan. You said you also, are you, do you have Dr. Anthony Fauci on your uh, contacts list? Are you guys friends? Well, no, 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 no. We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago on the Coach K show, and he was absolutely delightful. Um, and and, and what, the rest of your question was what now? What, what's it like here, you mean? Yeah, what is the general atmosphere there in terms of this current situation? I mean, my role, if I have one on the show, is to try to keep these guys from being so grumpy and you know, <laughs> sports and helping the cause. Well, I tell you what, uh, our, our governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo, has done a heck of a job explaining what's going on, what you have to do. And for the most part, with the exception of, uh, you know, people who, who need to be out there, uh, hospital workers, the police, firemen, delivery people, everybody else is pretty much, particularly in my neighborhood. I mean, you don't see that many people out here. And uh, I, I did hear a story this morning before I came on with you guys at the liquor stores, because you can't go to bars, the liquor stores are doing a boom in business. So people mm -hmm. are drinking more. Oh, yeah, essential. Yeah, <laughs> essential, uh, essential workers are, are, are the only, pretty much the only people on the street. Now, I don't live too far from a supermarket. If I had to, I could, you know, go around the corner, but we've had just about everything we've, um, We've been, you know, getting by on for the last, uh, what, what's that, 13, 30 some days, and almost 40 days. Uh, we've had everything delivered. So we've been unbelievably lucky. My well, I was in the news this morning, job. too, that uh, Mayor de Blasio says New York's not going to be going again until late July or August. Uh, that wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock really? me because, you know, we had so many hot spots here in, in, in uh, maybe not so much in Manhattan, but in Brooklyn in Queens, now in Long Island, and there's enough hot spots here in New York, in, in the city itself, that uh, I think that's, I don't think he's out of line with that at all. I really don't. And, uh, that, you know, that's what that's what the experts are saying. Hey, and the thing is so daggone contagious. You, you just can't, I think the, the national rules that they came out, the advisory last night, now you can have groups of 50, but a little, yeah, a little yeah, dicey about that. Stage, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, in the debate, best cheesesteak in Philly? It's not Pat's. It's not Gino's. It's Delisandro's in Roxboro. Oh. Everybody always goes Pat's and, Pat's and Gino's. That's where all, you know, it's like if you do come, when you do go to Philly, you know, get an Uber or a Lyft and go to Delisandro's. It's uh, it's right off a golf course um, in the sort of the northwest, more of a northwest part of Philly. But there's there's so many good. There's another one in downtown Philly. If you do the historic tour and you do like Independence Hall and all that, if you go to Fifth and South, Fifth and South Street, there's a place called Jim's. If it's still there, it's very good. And I remember we were doing a Temple football game there, and we did our what was it a Saturday game? So a Friday we we talked to the coaches, and after we finished, uh, we went to Jim's, and I saw uh, Jeff Bostic polish off three of them. He said, "Simsy, this is really." <laughs> That's really good. Um, uh, he fried it up. He fried it up. He lives in Atlanta. All right. Um, favorite place you've played golf? Ooh. Some place uh, you want to play golf? Uh, I want to play Augusta. Obviously, I've played Wingfoot, and that was that was crazy. I'll never forget. There was a Chichi Rodriguez put on a, an exhibition. Where he uh, hit two, got two seven irons and had them hit right, you know, down range, and they they hit each other, which was like I thought was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, I love to watch Chichi on the practice tee. I had a chance, right? I had a chance to cover several um, heritage um, back in the mid '80s, and Chichi was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and he's a beauty. I played. Uh, I haven't played. I haven't not played Beth Page Black. I played. Uh, that page red, black. They say you got to be a billy goat to walk that sucker because there's no right. no carts. Um, I played Arnold Palmer's course, his home course, twice. True. Last time we played it, it was about four or five months before he passed, and we had an off day in Pittsburgh, and we had a traveling party, probably ten fifteen guys. And you never saw so many major leaguers and professionals. When we walked into the clubhouse, gentlemen, uh, Mr. Palmer requested uh, the rules here. You have to take your cap off. <laughs> we did the whole you know, thing. And we go into the dining room, and there he was in a corner with his boys. And we all, like, tipped our cap to him. You know, we, we sort of waved at him. And I'll never forget that Seth Smith took his iPhone because Mr. Palmer was sitting behind him. Can't call him Marty. It's Mr. Palmer. And he's, like, he's got in front trying to take a picture. And it was just funny watching. Here's a major leaguer trying to do this. Anyway, long story short, when Arnie got, when Mr. Palmer got up to leave, we all got up and we created a, 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 a receiving line. And he went down the line, shook everybody's hand. He got to me and I said, Mr. Palmer, 1999, you're in Philly. I was doing a, I, I was working for a, a TV station and you gave me an interview the post round, you talked about your round and talked about the tournament. I just want to thank you again. He looked me dead in the eye. He says, no, Dave, thank you. I said, okay, my month is made. See you later. <laughs> I have a quick Palmer story. I have a buddy here who's a freelancer and uh, he uh, went to Augusta to shoot some video and he was like halfway back to Anderson and the station in Charlotte called and says, Hey, we need a promo with Palmer, can you turn around and go back? Oh my God. Says, Are you kidding? He's not going to be, he says, yeah, he's waiting on you. So he says he pulls into the parking lot of the green jacket there and there's Arnold Palmer waiting on him to shoot that promo. I mean, awesome. 
Yeah. yeah. Nobody, they said nobody enjoyed being Arnold Palmer more than Arnold Palmer. Hey. <laughs> hey, you, know, you drive into uh, Latrobe, I mean, Arnold Palmer this, Arnold Palmer Airport. I mean, he mm-hmm. is huge there. And, and, and the, second, the second hole is a par three, 110 if it's that much going down and a little bit bang to the left. I'd love to go back there because it kicked my butt both times I was there. <laughs> hey, Dave, were you called you know, Arnold Palmer's when you were in the, the clubhouse there? Did anybody have me? Somebody did. I don't think any of us were doing any heavy drinking that day, but I heard some wise <laughs> ass say, hey, can I get an Arnold Palmer? Yeah. <laughs> Dave Sims with us. We won't keep you much longer, man. We really appreciate your time. But, but I have to ask you, this whole podcast idea – came uh, out of uh, us wanting to to recapture what we did on Sports Talk Radio. Uh, I hosted a show in Clemson for 11 years on the Clemson flagship station, and we had a great time with it. Um, it you did uh, a show called Sports Night in, in the mid-1980s, which was kind of the precursor to WFAN going uh, full sports all the time. What was doing Sports Talk Radio for five hours a night, if, if what I'm reading is correct, like in, in the mid-80s in New York City? Yeah, I, I came on board in 86, and Art Russ Jr. was at WABC, and he, he owned the, the marketplace from, I want to say, late 70s until uh, um, about 85-ish. And there was a guy named Jack Spector who had been an old DJ back at WMCA, uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, the Beatles and all that stuff. Anyway, Jack Spector hosted a show called you know, Sports Night. But the weirdest thing was it was music and sports. And I'll never forget the first time I heard it. This is coming up. We're going to talk about last night's Mets loss. But first, here's Billy Joel. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so needless to say, that's, uh, that, that, that had a very short shelf life. Yes. So, uh, let's see. This would have been probably January. Yeah, it was January of 86. I put in a call trying to get over there to NBC. My, my agent's calls aren't getting picked up, so I called Marv Albert. Marv, I told Marv, I said, this job, job opening to host this show at night is made for me. Done. Marv makes a call. Next day, I'm in there for an interview. Audition February 3rd. <clears throat> Excuse me, February 3rd. 86 and started March 3rd of 86. And I went 7.30 to midnight. Mike Breen, who's gone into the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, was my producer with with, uh, Dominic uh, Trinelli. And Mike would do a magazine show, a news magazine show, 7 to 7.30. And if there was no Nets or NFL game or whoever we were carrying those years, if there was no game, we'd go 7.30 to midnight. And it was unbelievable. And we had a blast. We'd go the first half hour, open phone New York. I stole that from Larry King. And then we'd do and then we'd do eleven to twelve. And the thing that was great about it, eleven to twelve, fifty thousand watts, forty-eight states. Mm. And we did that open phone. And then in between we'd have guests on. And some of the memorable get we had Bart uh, Bart Giamatti before you know before he died, he came on, he did it twice he did an hour with me. One of the smartest people I've ever been around in my life. It was a t- it was in almost he. It was just short of being intimidating, but, but he had that much grace about him. And the other favorite, another favorite moment, because <clears throat> we were in Thirty Rock, and Letterman was still doing a show there, and Henry Henry Aaron was on one night, and and they taped at like five thirty, and so I guess 
the hammer's uh, appearance ended at about five to six, six o'clock. I had already gone upstairs. I was standing outside. I said, where's Mr. Aaron coming out? He says, he'll be out coming out that door. I almost tackled him when he came out. I said, Mr. Aaron, Big <laughs> Sims, got a sports show down. It says, it'd be a huge honor. I grew up in Philly watching it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. He came down. We did a half hour. Can I find the tape? No. Oh, <laughs> but it was wonderful sitting there with the hammer. Just talking baseball. It was unbelievable. You know, speaking of finding the tape, um, I, we were doing this massive garage clean out yesterday, and I'm going through a lot of the old broadcast tapes and everything. I found, I found an interview that I did 15, 18 years ago with Bobby Thompson. Ooh, nice. Yeah. He, he, he was a guest speaker at a, uh, a baseball fundraising dinner here in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, nice Scotsman. Yep, and, and uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because I don't have a cassette player around the house anymore. How about that? Go back and watch the HBO documentary, obviously called Shot Heard Around the World. Mm-hmm. And and thankfully they did it like, it, let's see, it's probably 2000 or 2002, so Bobby and, and Ralph were still very much around. And they we were all involved in a charity and those last few years, boy, Ralph was bitter, man, because he said, hey, I've been telling people for years they were stealing signs. And I'll never forget, Cobb, you appreciate this. We, a lot of us, you know, we'd have these charity golf tournaments and they'd have celebrities in it. Sal Evars, who was a uh, backup catcher on a 51 team, and he was one of the guys relaying the signs. I remember Sal saying, yeah, we had the signs all the way. Yeah, come on. We <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there's with the Astros thing, there's really nothing new in baseball. It took it to a different level, but there's nothing new. That was ridiculous. That was, be, you know, and I go back and listen to tapes, and now I hear it. I, you know, I, you know, it was just noise then. I didn't think anything of it. And that happened a lot when we were down there. Yeah. Dave, I can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. Actually kept you a little bit longer than I intended. Um, just, 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 just a final thought. You, Tom kind of referenced this a little bit. Uh, you you uh, and your wife have done some broadcast coaching, you were telling us. Well, what would be your biggest piece of advice in closing for a young broadcaster right now? Never, ever quit. Real simple. And, and, and in this day and age, we didn't have this one. We, you and I, when all of us were coming up, iPhones, you can practice at any time of the day, any place. And you don't have to worry about, you know, getting a reel-to-reel or finding, you know, we had reel-to-reel, then we had cassettes. and But now you got your phone. So now, and I tell kids all the time, get comfortable with how you look. Get comfortable with how you sound. Study other people. Uh, if you have, you know, spring for Sirius XM uh, satellite radio, so uh, you can listen to uh, – Everybody. Both sets of announcers on, on uh, football, bat, baseball, basketball, college sports. There's a wealth of material out there. So, and then, and then read up and like we were talking about earlier in the conversation, I mean, you know, get to lo- know the history of broadcasting and, and, and go from there. So that, that that's, that's the thing I pretty much, I was hammering on some kid the other day about this. Hey man, he was, he sent me a basket, a baseball link and he was going too fast. I said, got time it's baseball low ball too you know i mean again you're not going to be mr scully but slow down enjoy it well that's that's great advice even for some of us older broadcasters who maybe get caught up in all the minutiae of everything going on from time to time listen uh be safe there in new york uh continue to take care of yourself and and uh, hopefully we'll see you on television again calling seattle games before too much longer 
I appreciate that. Pleasure being with y'all, Cobb and Dan and Tom and Dory. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be waiting on your book. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. So there you go. That's almost an hour with uh, Dave Sims. It, I tell you what, if we were as good at our job as the guest that we've had on recently, <laughs> we wouldn't have to do a podcast. We'd be doing something else some somewhere else on television or a network radio or something. That that was really enjoyable. It was. And you guys are as good. You know, you guys were talking at the end there about our, what would be the one nugget of advice that um, Dave Sims would give to a young broadcaster starting out. I think he pretty much said, stick with it. Don't quit. Yeah. You know, the grit. It takes, you guys have that, the grit and the talent and then sprinkled with a little luck. I mean, he's, he's wonderful. What a career. I mean, he's done pretty much everything that you would want to do as a sportscaster. And I wanted to ask him, you may know the answer, what his favorite sport is to call. I guess it's baseball, Major League Baseball, since that is his, his profession at the moment, right? Was that what you guys thought? Well, he does Westwood one football, NFL football on, on Sunday afternoons. Uh, he's done basketball. So I don't know what his favorite is, but he's good at all of them. No question. And, and, and Tom, uh, when we were talking about young broadcasters and, and, and Dave hit on something that I think you and I have both told some youngsters and, and that you got to get on the air. And, and I tell them, I don't care if it's on the college station playing classical music You've got to get accustomed to speaking into a microphone and developing an on-air style, and the only way you can do it is to do it. Yeah, you gotta you gotta want to be able to do it. You gotta get on air, and I think uh, nowadays uh, there are a lot that uh, think that they're going to go right to ESPN. They're going to go to CBS. I mean, there are so many more opportunities right now for broadcasters. When you and I were coming up and had to kind of grind it out in in small town, small time America. But, uh, you know, you just got to be able to, to get on the air and do some games and all this kind of stuff. So, And I've got my 12-year-old producer-engineer with me here. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, that's how I got on the air. And, by the way, I actually have a, uh, a ring light, and I'm told that that's what uh, women used to use for makeup. I don't need any makeup here today. It wouldn't help and all that but they make their the YouTube, they make their YouTube videos using this ring light. Oh, nice, <laughs> Cobb. I'm surprised Dave didn't say something about your Augusta National background when you had it up. Oh no, no, that's number seven at Pebble. Beach. I know, I know. I said, <laughs> I, I said when you had no, it up. <laughs> no, I had uh, yeah. the first background was Oxford Farm. Ah, Oxford Farm, local. But I agree with the don't quit. And, uh, and like Tom said, everybody comes out of school thinking they're ready for network TV or uh, you got to pay your dues. I mean, I started at a twice a week newspaper and did everything, including sweep the floor. And uh, you got to learn how to work. And then once you learn how to work, then I think you you find your way. But, well, Cobb, I'll tell you this, though. I had incredible appreciation over the years for when you were a sports information director and, and what and what you bring to the table. I mean, we're broadcasters. We roll in, do the games, and roll out of there. And then you you all just start working when we leave. That's the way Jordan Cass said that he owes everything to you, that you taught him everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jordan. Just tell Jordan to keep selling that line. Okay. Jordan wouldn't go away. Jordan would just – he he wanted to help, and I let him help. And uh, 
he uh but he, yeah he he is uh he's gone way past me in the business i uh i was uh, i was the first one at anderson and i the technology went past me i quit just about when the technology was passing me but uh, yeah there were especially on the division two level you know this tom yeah february is hell month because basketball still has basketball and wrestling still had a month to go and guess what division two decides february one's a great time to start all the spring sports so you would work a home basketball doubleheader you'd sit down and write that and you'd have two tennis matches to write a baseball game probably a softball doubleheader and you know naturally everybody decided to play on the same day and in february i found myself usually by mid-month praying for rain until march and then you know you could try and get a handle on it but you know, now they have, I think, two and going to get a third person at Anderson. So, yeah, it, it was way more than one person could do. And I, I, but you're right. I mean, but that's typical sports writers, too. Your your job, I mean, broadcaster, yeah, you sign off and you pack the equipment up. You go to the parking lot. Sports writer, you know, you got to go to the locker room. You got to gather your quotes. You got to decide what you're going to write. If you're on deadline, you have to already have it written and just fill in the blanks. But your job doesn't start till the game's over. And uh, so you'd be there a couple hours sometimes after the game finishing up. Um, so, yeah, it uh, it's not, oh, you get to go to the games free. And yada, yada. I was like, you know, get get out of here with that. You know, I mean, it's it would work. And uh, so – I, uh, but, but that's all changed now too, because you don't have newspapers anymore and newspapers are printed at seven o'clock at night. So there's no night events in a newspaper. So no reason to cover a night event. So the whole landscape has changed. And, um, uh, but yeah, it, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the, the SID thing. Um, and you know, I was around two of the best. I mean, Bob Bradley, um, was just, he, Bob Bradley treated the New York Times and the Tiger the same way. I mean, he was that kind of guy. And then Tim Bray, of course, came in and took over from him. So I've known Tim for a long time. So, um, but yes, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of work. And all these notes packages they write, I'm just like, you know, and I know some of that you write it initially and then it's kept on file and you update it. But still, to have to produce that every week is just, you know, and I'll and I know how I do it. I flip through it. I don't read every word. So yeah, <laughs> to, but to produce a you know forty-page note package every week for I don't know. I don't know what you. I don't know who you're producing it for, but that's that's what you're supposed to do. So you do it. I I was fortunate enough to to get to Clemson, and. and uh, started working at the the Seneca newspaper in May of 99. And uh, so I I was here in the area and working for about the last year, maybe year and a half of of Bob Bradley's life. And and he was retired, but he was still doing some things kind of like Tim Beret is doing now over there. I never met the man. I had heard about him, but I never met him. And the first Clemson baseball game that I covered 
for the Seneca paper, I walked into the press box about three hours before first pitch, which is normal for me. And Mr. Bradley was there, and we had never met. And the first words out of his mouth were, hi, Dan. He he already knew who I was, and that's why he was maybe the best that's ever done this. When I did Clemson baseball, the the press box used to be down the the first baseline. There was a big wooden box that had about six seats in it. And a lot of times it would be me and Mr. Bradley and then Dr. Edwards would sit over here to my left. So here I am sitting with former Clemson president, Mr. Bradley, and that would be about it. It might be one or two other people. And you had to keep your head up if the – if there was an overthrow at first base, it might rattle the box. But uh, I did get a chance to tell Mr. Bradley, I mean, he was still in the press box. This was just like maybe a few weeks before he passed away. I just got a chance to tell him how much he I appreciate what he'd done for me. Cause he did, he direct, I didn't, I was not a writer when I went to Clemson. I, I had to learn, I had two or three really good mentors and I had to learn as I went and um, Mr. B was one of them. I mean, he, uh, he, uh, he'd go in his office, and his office was the biggest mess you've ever seen. And he'd say, Mr. Bradley, I need uh, this. And he'd go over to his desk, and he'd just peel up the stack of papers and, and hand it to you. And I, uh, he, had, he had a filing system that only he understood. So, But, yeah, he was, he was a good one. That's great. That's so awesome. Thank you guys for sharing. I've enjoyed this. Just being the band-aid here, the fan. I'm on the sidelines. You guys have such great stories and professions as it is now, but I want to hear about the future. What are we going to do? Are we going to be able to continue the way things have always been? Cobb, I know you just talked about when you were a sports writer, it sounded like it was sort of a demolition derby of sorts with all of the sports that you were covering. If everything doesn't get started, we are going to have a pile up or well, we're not going to have anything. It's almost coming to that tipping point. And, you know, you ask that question of everybody and, and nobody has the answers. I mean, nobody, right. um, and, I, and I think things will get clearer and clearer. And I think we are moving at a little bit faster pace now. I think we're headed toward, but I don't know how soon we'll see people in stadiums. I really don't. I, I'm hoping it's this fall, but who knows? I, uh, uh, if you're going to take everybody's temperature before they go in the stadium and if you're running too hot, you got to go back to the parking lot. I mean, I don't know. That, that ain't going to work, I don't think. Uh, I, I'm really, with each day that passes, I'm really anticipating there won't be any college sports because the commissioners have come out and said, we don't have kids on campus. We're not having sports. Well, you, you know what? What's interesting to that line of conversation, though, is I was on a uh, a webinar that our athletic director at Furman wanted everybody to attend, and, and the the three uh, main guests on that webinar, the ones who were doing all the talking, were the uh, president at the University of Kansas, Tom president at Minnesota and the president in Arizona. And, and the Arizona president said yesterday, he gave us all a little bit of a tip uh, that they were going to announce today that they are going to have students back on campus in the fall, that they are, wow. they are bringing their students back at the University of Arizona in the fall. That's their plan. So there's at least one major university 
that has decided that that's what they're going to do. Now, there may be some restrictions, of course, as they do it, but he did say yesterday, and, and we're recording this episode on, on Friday, April the 17th, so he said this on April the 16th, that when the fall rolled around, University of Arizona would have its students back on campus. Well, uh, you've got to have them on campus, uh, the students back, I think, before you can even, you know, consider even ha- having the fans in the stands. I mean, and the, the, the AD at Notre Dame said he couldn't see it uh, not having uh, – without having students there, having empty stands. And I did see where the Big 12 uh, commissioner said, uh, right. you know, if the possibility exists that we don't have any fans uh, in the stands for football, we'll seek the advice from the University of Kansas. Well, I got a quick question. <laughs> okay, nice. so does, does the NCAA require that uh, schools must be back in for football to occur? I mean, can oh, we have – Football it's without. not required, but but the, the view of a lot of the coaches is okay. You're you're willing if you just have players on campus and no students, then we're willing to put the student athletes at risk and not you know the regular student body. I mean, you're basically you're you're asking a whole lot of your student athletes. Well, it, 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 it would make it look like but. it was nothing but a money grab. Right. Exactly. Well. I mean, that's you could look at it that way, but I know a certain coach uh, at Clemson who has supposedly said football is happening regardless. Have you guys heard that? It, I kind of one it is no, I mean, I'm still surprised Dabo got beat up for what he said because all he said was, "I'm I'm confident we'll play football." He didn't go as far as Mike Gundy did, which was. I want my players back on campus May 1. I want to test everybody. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And Oklahoma State said, uh, whoa, Haas, you know, let's back up a little bit. So, um, I don't know. I am i don't know what it's going to look like. Are we going to sit six feet apart? Are we going to only have 45,000 and 80,000-seat stadium? I noticed, uh, who was it? Ben, <laughs> ben Milstead posted something on, the, on the Twitter this morning. He's, he posted a picture from the Florida State Clemson game two years ago. He says social distancing is possible at college football games. <laughs> yeah, the stadium the stadium was half empty in, in the yeah, picture. Yeah, it, it was a famous yeah. professor reading book game. Remember that yeah. one? I do remember. <laughs> Nobody, a bomb could have gone off, and he'd been yeah. the only one that would have been injured. But he's sitting there with his shirt off reading a book, and that yeah. you know, social distancing is possible. I guess if you have a lousy team. So yeah, and, uh, but uh, anyway, hey, I uh, I got a tea time. So um, oh, well, you I, get to your tea well, time, Mister Oxford. I, I guess that means we have to stop because Cobb has to go. I, that means I priorities. Say is, is I think you do. Uh, we do a closing thing. I'm just I'm really thinking of Seneca. It uh, I corresponded with Karen Trammell last night. She sent me some photos that were just unbelievable. I mean, it, it really, she said, you need, next week you need to ride up here and look at it. It said you just wouldn't, have, there's parts of the town that look like a bomb went off. So uh, it's lots of damage there and um, hope, you know, on top of the virus and just uh, hoping that uh, that town can rally because I, I spent a lot of good time there. Well, that's where I go to church. 
and, and yeah. fortunately, the, the church building itself was not affected, but many people who go to our wow. church at Utica Baptist were affected. in in, in that Beltline return church area um, uh, in, on that, that side of town. So Yeah, but, but many of our church members were affected in to varying degrees, some not so much and some severely uh, by, by the tornado. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great closing thought. Just keep those people in your thoughts and your prayers. Guys, gal... I've enjoyed it. That's three weeks Absolutely. in a row. That's three weeks in a row. We've had a great guest. So I guess it's up to me to keep it rolling, good. right? He's a lot of fun. He's a regular guy. That was pretty cool. Yeah. That was very cool. Thank you guys once again. And yes, my heart goes out to those in South Carolina and the upstate that have been affected as you know, it goes out to everyone around the whole world right now. This is just a crazy time, but I'm I'm really lucky to get to be a part of you guys and getting a little perspective from you guys. And I hope to see you soon. I'm still isolating up here in Greensboro, North Carolina, and going to head maybe south soon. Cobb, I'd love to play golf sometime. Hit them straight today. We'll do our best. And, and Tom, we hope to see you on one of your daughter's YouTube videos soon. Uh, yeah, they've, uh, like I said, we got the we got the ring light thing going here, and those, those <laughs> girls uh, at, at ages 12 and 9, they're, they're performers in front of the camera. I mean, <laughs> like Dave said, as he held up his phone, look how this has changed everything. <laughs> pretty cool stuff. So I will tell you that I flunked uh, third grade coding this week, and I'm working on Blue Ring Oyster. And also I, I sent a message to my third graders. A teacher said, I want to debate whether or not this is a compound sentence because I got it wrong. You know, those types of things. Yeah. Oh, God. I hate, I hate my, my other closing thought was my lawnmower broke, so – I mowed my lawn with a weed eater and probably will drink from the homeowners association before too long. So I hope I'm still here and I probably look like I'm in my parents' basement. I'm not too far. Yeah. It's not, it's nice of you to have the Van Halen logo behind you there as well. well we need the Van Halen. Yeah. We need to start a GoFundMe page with my Tom What I also have is the world curling association. My, my, uh, wife is a board of director of the palmetto uh, curling club and she got all those gold medal guys uh, a couple of years ago to sign okay. stuff so that's kind of cool i've all always right. wanted to try that i want to try that one day now, well, she, have, she can I make it happen nice i think i can i can speak to somebody that'll get you in there cop story you're welcome <laughs> a little twist of the wrist and, the, and i can't i can't pick up the rock at 45 45 pounds that i have a trouble holding it up you know i'm not gonna well that's ha that's half your body weight tom come on i know i mean i checked in at 138 that's not really <laughs> <laughs> all right all right guys well, thank you much good. we'll see you for next week's episode yeah well once again this has been episode seven of grumpy old brian casters our thanks to dave sims the uh, tv voice or tv broadcaster for the seattle mariners for joining us just a, a clinic on a a long-term media life. And, uh, boy, it was just a, a fun conversation today. Folks, do us a favor. Share this with your friends. Uh, like us. Subscribe to us. Rate us. Give us all the help we can to grow this. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Our thanks again to Tadaro Pizza for being our presenting sponsor, TadaroPizza.com. And they are still open at the Greenville, South Carolina location for pickup and delivery. Do yourself a favor. 
uh, especially those of you who are not from Greenville when you come into the area uh, or Clemson, uh, the uh, Sloan Street location, put that on your food bucket list because you will you will thank me, I promise you. Todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. That'll take care of uh, this episode of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. That's who we are. We'll be back with you next week with another edition. Until then, for Tom and Cobb and Dory and our guest today, Dave Sims, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you. So long, everybody.